Hi friends, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to my podcast. I appreciate your tuning back in. Um, I'm actually getting more and more folks who are following me on Podbean, so it's great to have any new listeners as well. Uh, We are beginning a new sermon series here at my church in the city called What's in Jesus' Wallet? You may have seen the Capital One commercials uh, asking the question, what's in your wallet? And so we're asking the questions about what's in Jesus' wallet as we explore faith and finances. And so today, as we start this new sermon series, we're going to be reading from the Gospel of Matthew. This is a story that Jesus told about laborers in the vineyard. This is Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. May God's blessing be on the reading and living out of this word. So all you have to do is spend a little time on the internet and you see all kinds of uh, funny pictures and videos and memes. Uh, the Sometimes people talk about the funny cat videos that you see on YouTube and other um, humorous looks at daily life. And certainly if you have Facebook, sometimes people will put a joke or a funny picture on your wall, and sometimes they pay attention to those. But because there's so many, I often just ignore them. But someone put something on my wall about three or four weeks ago that caught my attention. There was, I'll put this on my Podbean page as well, there was a student who had done this test. I'm guessing it's probably a very advanced middle school or high school uh, algebra test. And the student has done or finish what looks like a somewhat complicated algebraic problem, at least for me, who has very little expertise in math. Uh, And then the student finished the problem, and then below it, the student wrote, Jesus is always the answer, which is a kind of humorous. I have no idea if this was a Hail Mary of his trying to be funny or if he really believed this. Who knows? But then, so you see, he writes, fills out the algebraic equation, writes, Jesus is always the answer. And then below that, the teacher has made uh, his or her own remarks In red, it says minus five. So the student has got five points taken away. And then the teacher responds, not on this question. So it's pretty funny. I have no idea if this is true or not, but it's pretty funny to think about it. So this, and reflect on it. The student has a particular view of God. 
And so essentially, maybe what the student is saying is no matter how complicated the problem, the student is saying God is the answer. Maybe he or she, the student, maybe they want to believe, therefore, that God makes sense. When in doubt, no matter how complicated, Jesus is always the answer. You know, when we think about words that describe God, we can probably come up with quite a few. For those who live a faith life, you may think of words like love or grace or justice. For those who have not had a great experience of God, they may say other words like law or punishment or anger. And certainly there are more, a few, more than a few folks today who either don't think about God at all or just simply say, well, when I think about God, I think non-existent. Some may also not say it when they think about what's a way to describe God, but they desire it. When they think about God, they may want to believe that, it's, that God is predictable, logical. They may want to, and some probably do, imagine God as accountant, making sure that all the ledgers add up, that everyone gets what they deserve. So as I noted earlier, we're starting this new series today called What's in Jesus' Wallet as we explore faith and money and how they may go together. But before we get to that question, I think a more basic question that we have to ponder is how do we perceive God? When I asked you earlier about those words to describe God, how would you answer? The temptation when we think about faith and money is let's just talk about the money part because that begins to engender some really interesting conversation. But I think we first need to think about the faith part because that will affect how we see all aspects of our life, certainly including money. Here at Urban Village, we say on Sunday morning that we're a church that's relevant, meaning we do our faith not just on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday too. So discipleship, we believe, following Jesus means that every single aspect of our lives is affected. We're going to look at this question of how we perceive God through the lens of parables, like the one I just read this morning. Just a quick aside on what parables are. A really wonderful book that I'm reading right now by a man named Eugene Peterson. If you uh, sometimes read the Bible, you may notice one version of the Bible is called The Message, a very contemporary translation of the Bible. The Message was, that translation of the Bible was written by Eugene Peterson. And he wrote a book called Tell It Slant, a conversation on the language of Jesus in his stories and prayers. And so Peterson takes a look at some of Jesus' parables Now, you and I may think when we think of parables that, oh, these are cute stories that are illustrations that make a point. But Peterson notes that they do much more. So here's a quote from the book. Peterson says, a parable is not an illustration. We cannot look at a parable as a spectator and expect to get it. A parable does not make a thing easier. It makes it harder by requiring participation, by entering into the story. End quote. So in other words, when Jesus tells a parable, he is not saying, no, just sit back and enjoy it, friends, like a wonderful story around the campfire. Instead, Jesus is inviting people to lean forward, to become part of the story, and essentially asking the questions, where are you in this story that I'm telling? How are you wrestling with it? There's another great quote from Peterson who says, the parables are basic verbal defenses against disengaged complacency. That's a really rich and wonderful quote. Let me read it again. The parables are basic verbal defenses against disengaged complacency. So when Jesus is telling a parable, he is battling against those who will just say, oh, this is a great story. It doesn't affect me at all. This will humor me for a few minutes and I'll go on living my life. 
Jesus is telling a parable to say, I want you to be drawn in and then maybe your life might be changed even just a little bit. And maybe the, tr- the same thing is true for us when we hear stories, when we hear parables. So when we hear and read this parable of the landowner from Matthew, we are compelled, I hope, to dive in. And when we do so, we have to go back to the question I asked earlier, who is God to you? When we wrestle with this parable, then what do we come up with? Who is God to you? And then we engage with this parable, and then we have to begin to really think about this question, who is God? So many have equated God as the landowner in this parable, the one who goes out and hires people throughout the day and then gives them all equal wages. And many people, when they first read this parable, will use a word to describe God, and it's not necessarily complimentary. They read this parable and they think, unfair. Unfair. Landowner is unfair. And that's not necessarily an adjective that people first use when they describe God, isn't it? But it makes sense. So maybe you read this parable again and other words may come up like grace. Grace. And it might not seem fair, but many times grace isn't fair. That's another really great way to engage this parable. And as I kept reading it this week, another word came to mind to describe this parable and to describe God, especially after I thought of a couple of other parables that Jesus told, and that's the word wasteful. I mean, what kind of landowner runs a business like this? As our staff meeting on Tuesday, one of our staff members said, this this guy's a really terrible business owner. It doesn't make any sense. Why would you pay the person who works an hour the exact same who's worked all day? And yet Jesus seems to portray God in this way in other parables. There's the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. This sower who is sowing these seeds and sowing the seeds in all kinds of places. The good majority of the seeds are going on kinds of soil where nothing is going to grow. And you might think that's wasteful. That doesn't make sense. Or the story of the prodigal son. Story you may know well. The story of... The son who goes off, takes his father's inheritance, comes back, he blows it all, comes back, and the father sees him and loves his son and throws this big extravagant party. And the other son says, what are you doing? This is unfair. This is wasteful. But there seems to be a theme here, right? Apparently, Jesus is describing a God who is unbelievably generous and abundant And we might ask ourselves, overly so? Is our God wasteful? And if so, what does that say about God? I finished a book recently by a man named Shane Claiborne, who is a writer and prophet and one who works exclusively with the poor and speaker. And he has started a community in Philadelphia called The Simple Way. A few years ago, they came in uh, with a couple of gifts of $20,000. And so they were trying to figure out what to do with this money. And they, after some conversation, they said, well, it's time to have Jubilee. And Jubilee is an Old Testament celebration, which essentially dismantles inequality, where the debts of the poor are forgiven, property is redistributed, and slaves are freed. And so they wanted to have a modern-day simple, or modern-day Jubilee. So they decided the best place to do this is on Wall Street. So they gathered together, and a nun who was in their midst blew a ram's horn like the Jewish ancestors did and announced, let the celebration begin. 
And so then people who had gathered from their group started dumping change all over the streets. And people from up above were literally throwing hundreds of dollars in paper money, filling the air. And then they dropped banners that said things like, stop terrorism and share love. And there is enough for everyone's need, but not enough for everyone's greed, which is a quote by Gandhi. And people were gathering together and others were wondering, like, what do we make of these people? And Shane in this uh, he wrote an article about this, and he said one of the street sweepers winked at us as he flashed a dustpan full of money, and another guy hugged someone and said, now I can get my prescription filled. But I have to believe, too, when people read about this, to think, what a waste of $20,000. This could be used in so many other ways. And yet, the people from the Simple Boy wanted to make a point about love and grace and abundance, essentially saying that we have more than enough And our God, indeed, gives us abundantly, and it spills over, and we need to stop and really think about, who is this God? So what do we do with this information? If we have this sense of, this is who God is, then we ask ourselves the question, who am I? And how do I respond to this? So let me get back to the first response of almost everyone when this parable is read, Remember when I said maybe a word that comes to mind when we first read the parable is unfair. It seems unfair. Now, I've read this parable with many people throughout my ministry, both at Urban Village and before when I was pastor of two other churches. And it's interesting that I cannot remember a time when someone aligns themselves with the people who started late in the day. So again, remember in the parable, there are people who start at the crack of dawn, work all day, and then there are those who essentially work for an hour or two. They all make the same wage. And every time we read this parable, every single person always aligns themselves with those who start at the early part of the day because we don't want to align ourselves with the people who started late in the day. I mean, that's un-American, right? We start early as Americans. We work hard. We want to be compensated. Early workers, that's who I am. So if that's the case, again, parables are really great opportunities for us to do some self-reflection. But if we align ourselves with the early workers, we're not really doing self-reflection. Instead, we're thinking about, well, look at these other people. They got more than I did. And we spend more time thinking about that than really beginning to wrestle with the parable and thinking about who we are and if we have enough. Because apparently, they do. The text tells us that this is a living wage, essentially. It's the usual daily wage. And scholars believe that usual daily wage is enough for daily bread. So, it's enough to live on. It is enough. And instead, the early workers and those who align themselves with early workers don't think necessarily about having enough. They think about what isn't coming their way. And why should these people essentially get, quote-unquote, more than us? So, what does this do within you? If you do some self-reflection and if you align yourself with the early workers, what is this saying about you? Now, I'm not saying, a little bit of an aside here, I'm not saying that we shouldn't pay attention when people are treated unjustly and just say it's only about me, but I am saying that we need to do some reflection and think about whoever we align ourselves with in this parable, are we just doing a cursory self-reflection or are we also beginning to really wrestle and dig deep about what does it mean to have enough? And not thinking about what I am not getting. And what does it say about God and God's grace and love, which is abundant. 
sometimes even some might say, well, wasteful. So next week, next Saturday is trick or, or Halloween and people uh, will be trick-or-treating. We live in an area where we get masses of people and we always run out of candy. About two years ago, what I, I thought, well, this might be an interesting little evangelism tool. I will put candy in kids' bags and I'll also put a card about our church that gives information about it. And I was patting myself on the back thinking what a great thing this might be. But I, from the very beginning, kids would open up their bags and they know that when you go from house to house, you are going to get candy, right? And so they would open up the bags and I would put candy in along with the card and the kids would always look into the bag and they wouldn't see the candy that I gave them. They would see the card and so many indignant kids will look down and see the card and their first response is, what is this? What is this? And they looked at me and I tried to explain to them, well, you know, it's just a little something for your mom and your dad. And they would look at me like, what are you doing? Because I think many of them thought I wasn't also putting candy. I was just putting these dumb cards in there. And so we're thinking, this is not the way it's supposed to work. Other kids probably have come by and they have gotten candy from you and you are giving me this card. Where's mine? Where's mine? So, I mean, these are children, right? So I'm not expecting them to do some deep self-reflection about parables, but often we have that childlike mentality when we think, well, that's not fair. And we don't think about ourselves, but in fact, we, we look at others saying, that's not fair that they are getting theirs. And we focus and obsess perhaps on what others have rather than doing the work that the parable is calling us to do to think about, what do I have? Is it enough? In most cases, I think we can say yes. And then we ask ourselves the question, if it is enough, and if I believe in a God who is abundant and generous, then what do I do? And how do I respond? Am I also then called to live and give abundantly and generously? Now, I don't want us to be wasteful, of course. One of the things that we've talked about with the sermon series is credit card debt, and so many young adults now have are weighed down by uh, credit card debt. And I don't want us also, on the other hand, to think, well, I only want to just have certain resources. But I think it's important for us to think about our lives and think about how am I giving generously, both financially and with our lives as well. I was at a gathering about three or four years ago uh, with um, some other folks um, it was a, a little focus group of sorts at the Chicago Tribune. They were looking about how do we uh, be engaged in religious um, articles and how do we cover religion. And so I was invited with some other people. And one of the women there was a lay person who lives out in the western suburbs. And she told this really great story uh, about her family. And she, from what I could tell, lives pretty modestly. She has six. She and her husband have six children. Uh, and she thought about, she and her husband and family had talked about that. She said, I, she always used to hate the idea of having company over for dinner. She worried that their house wouldn't be clean enough, uh, and didn't know what to serve. But finally she said, you know what? We really want to build community here in our home. So they decided to do something that I think when others of us would think about it, all kinds of questions would pop up. So they decided they're going to open their house once a month to anybody who wanted to come over for dinner, anybody. They would put word out, word on the street, word of mouth, Facebook, all these different things. And we're just going to have people over for dinner. We'll make a big pot of spaghetti and we'll just see what happens. 
Now, I can imagine when people hear that, they might think, or if we thought about we were doing it, all kinds of things would pop into our minds, right? Like, well, A, like she thought, what's our house look like? Uh, B, a good question, will we have enough? What if too many people come over? What if we don't have enough to feed them? Who are the people who are going to be coming over? These are all questions, certainly, that can be asked. But she decided, and her family, well, we're just going to do it. We'll have spaghetti, meatballs, salad, and bread, and we'll see what happens. And she said, it's been amazing. They've had as few as 15 and as many as 47 come over on any given night. And they never run out. Because what also happens is that others will come and they will bring something to share as well. And so there is never, uh, or there's always enough. There's never anyone who goes home with an empty stomach. What a wonderful example, I think, of generosity and sharing of our lives. Of this family thinking at first, I don't know if we want to do this, but we want to build community. We want to get to know our neighbors. We have enough. We can share with others. We have absolutely no idea who will come. But we believe in a God who is generous. We believe in a God who some might say is wasteful with grace, giving grace to people who don't deserve it. But they knew this is our God, and we want to respond in kind. Parables tend to do that to us. So if we wrestle with this parable and we think, who am I in this parable? Who is God in this parable? What does it mean to my life? Then that really should change us. If I believe in a God who is generous to the point of being wasteful, and if I reflect and think, I have enough, then that abundance and generosity perhaps spills over in our hearts, and we think, how can I share this with others? With our time, with our hospitality, we are at Urban Village now thinking about our own uh, ministry and are asking people to think about giving financially for 2016. So how will we give back to God through the ministry that we are doing at Urban Village? So we're asking people to reflect on that as well. But it's a hard and good question for all of us to reflect on. Who is God to you? Is your God generous, abundant, even wasteful? Who are you in this? Do you have enough? Maybe even more than enough. How then will you respond to this generous God with your own lives, your own finances, your own gifts? May the peace of Christ be with us as we reflect on these good questions. Amen. Thank you, friends, for tuning in again this week. And uh, as always, please... Respond to me if you have questions or concerns or want to push back. Chris at urbanvillagechurch.org or on Twitter at Christian Kuhn. And I'm always happy to respond to you in those ways. Until next week, I hope you have a blessed and abundant week yourself. And that the Spirit will encourage you to share that love with others. May the peace of Christ be with you. Be thou my wisdom and thou my